Today's episode is brought to you by O Yoga, offering over 50 classes a week between their two studios in downtown Syracuse and Dewitt, New York. There are opportunities throughout every day to find your center and allow your mind to turn inward and examine the abilities of your body. O Yoga offers all levels of classes from beginner workshops to hot and sweaty vinyasa flow classes. Come find the right class for you by signing up for the two-week New Student Unlimited membership for $25 and take as many classes as your heart desires. Our world is a truly amazing place. It is full of wonder, beauty, and amazing people, most of which we will never see. I am Tyler, and along with my wife Tiffany, we are OM Travelers. Our goal is to see the world, create amazing experiences in our life, and meet as many inspirational people out chasing their dreams as we can. This show is my opportunity to bring their stories to you so we can all share in the lives, inspiration, and awesomeness that we seldom hear about in those around us. Please join us here and at Ohm Travelers on Instagram and be a part of our journey. Namaste. Derek Vargas and Eliza Sieber are doing great things for our community. Together they founded a company called Spark Orange, a company that goes into other businesses to help them fix sales issues and make their whole process more efficient. It's pretty incredible considering that Eliza wanted to be a newspaper journalist and Derek was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. Both loved the technology world, Derek fiddling with computers with his friends to continue to play video games as technology improved and Eliza seeing the benefit through her family business and the tough times that it took to keep the business up to date with technology changes. They work really well together and created quite the work environment for their employees in their new offices down in Armory Square. If you're ever down there, I know they'd love to show you around. Just look them up on their website, www.sparkorange.net, and get in touch with them. It's a great interview today, not only talking about their business and what they've created, but also the benefits they see to creating a better work environment for people and how work environments can help to make individuals happier in the rest of their lives. So enjoy listening to Eliza and Derek. I certainly did, and I'm pretty sure you will too. Have a great day. Derek Vargas and Eliza Siebert, the owners of Spark.Orange here in Syracuse, New York. It's a little different twist today as we're going to talk a little more about the work environment and finding happiness and enjoyment in our daily lives. I think a lot of people can get stuck in an easy rut where they base their unhappiness or inability maybe to chase their dreams on their job situation, whether it be money or the fear of not finding something else or um, maybe even the fear of just taking a leap within the company to take the next step and find a promotion or something along those lines. So Derek and Eliza do a lot of work with different companies and 
not only companies, but also nonprofits in the Syracuse area. So I'm very grateful for them for making the time today. So welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. So as always, um, if one of you could just kind of describe where we are. I know these are your new offices, but just kind of give the lay of the land to people that are listening. Sure. So we are in our new offices uh, in Omri Square. We're uh, right above Kitty Hoynes. Um, and right now we're in our conference room, which uh, you know looks back over the, uh, the Benjamin's courtyard. Um, so some folks might know that back there. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been in these offices since uh, since July of 2017. Um, it, there's some noise in the background because we're still doing some some construction on a on a separate little wing here. But uh, yeah, that's, that's our spot. Well, there, it's a really cool office space um, when you walk in. And, and I love all the old buildings down in Armory Square, so yeah. it adds a lot of character. So. Yeah, it sure does. Um, now, so if let's just start here in the present. Sometimes we start going way back to people's childhood and what led them, but let's start here in the present. So describe the business that you guys have created here, and I know we'll get back to this, but maybe just briefly describe what brought you, because I, I know there's different levels of CRMs, and but to I've never understood the whole gamut. So describe what you guys have created here. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that not to bring it back too far, but, you know, Eliza and I met at a prior company uh, working uh, that was a sales and marketing consultancy um, that used CRM as a backbone for everything that they did. So um, what we would do is we would take over or we would work with companies to do sales and marketing consulting. And uh, with every implementation or every engagement, we used a CRM tool to help to, um, to affect change for those organizations. Um, and we worked with, I don't know, maybe a dozen different CRM tools um, and then finally ended up doing some work with Honeywell where we were introduced to Salesforce. And, you know, Eliza and I just both immediately fell in love with the tool um, just because of how flexible it is. And, I mean, I think that more than anything else, we wanted to be able to, we're very, we're very uh, passionate about providing value. And we know that, you know, the companies that were using this tool were seeing real value because we could actually take hours out of the day for them. So for us, you know, we kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, to shorten the story up a little bit, we ended up starting Spark Arm because we loved that. Now describe uh, and also break out the actual letters. So describe to the people listening, because for a long time, even though I've been in sales my whole life, I heard CRM, but didn't ever really know what it fully meant. So describe what CRM is to the Population. Sure. So, so CRM is customer relationship management. So the Salesforce platform and, and the most CRMs were started as a tool or a database to manage your you know, prospects and your clients and uh, the process between bringing them from a lead or somebody that you're just talking to about doing business with them all the way through to a contract. Um, and uh, you know, since then, you know, the, the platform and what that means has grown exponentially um, and it now affects pretty much all parts of the business from, you know, before you ever talk to somebody and how you're out there prospecting all the way through automated contracts and then operations and then tying into accounting and then also um, customer service. And just basically this, it's, it's really just a 360 degree view of your customer and the life cycle of that customer with your company. And there's a broad range of industries that utilize these, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You just about every industry that, that is out there is using ACRM in one form or another right now. And Salesforce is probably one of the largest ones? Yeah, Salesforce is the largest CRM in the world. Okay. I know that at our company, 
my family's business, the mortgage bank, um, we use a program called Jungo, mm -hmm. which is a, I don't really know how it relates on the tree, but it's a, it was their own company, but now they got bought, I think, by Salesforce and they're an offshoot. Mm -hmm. and it's a very mortgage specific right. version. So yes, it's very interesting. Okay. Well, very cool. So we'll get back to that part of it. So let's start, Eliza, why don't we start with you? And tell us kind of where, like, where you grew up, where you came from, and um, we'll kind of pause when we get to your prior company where you and Derek met, and we, you both can kind of fill us in on that. Sure. So I am from Syrac the Syracuse area. I went to Bishop Ludden um, for high school and then actually went to Syracuse University for undergrad. Um, and uh, during my undergrad stint, um, I wanted to actually be a newspaper journalist um, and uh, potentially, uh, you know, get into politics. So I graduated with a degree in newspaper journalism and political science, which is not technology related at all, obviously. <laughs> um, and out of college, um, I immediately, you know, I, I always wanted to be somebody to impact change, affect change. I wanted to you know, change the world. I was an idealistic college student. Um, did, where did that come from? Was that something that came about through like your parents or your, were you um, like that in high school? Yeah, I think I, it, my parent, my mom actually, my mom and dad actually ran two uh, businesses out of our household when we oh, were wow. growing up. Separate businesses? Yes. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I think that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit came from that. Sure. Um, and then also I just had this this passion to you know give back and um, I my my family growing up was very faith based um, and so I think a lot of that came through you know my my uh, religious background and just wanting to give back and help people and um, just be an impact to the people that are that were in my life and surrounding me in my community. Now, when you went to Syracuse University, what was your major and what was your kind of direction for those four years? Um, so political science, I had was a dual major in political science and um, in newspaper journalism. Okay. Um, because initially I wanted to get into politics, so I went in because I thought that's how you impact change. You get into government, you can you know write policy, you can change procedure, you can do this. Um, and so I actually had a couple internships in college where I was working for legislators and for um, local common counselors, and I actually had an uh, internship in New York City for a summer, um, and was realizing really quickly that you're in politics, you're not helping the people that need the, the help. Bubble got burst. Yes, it did very quickly <laughs> right after my freshman year. Um, oh no! <laughs> so. Um, you know, I was I was actually we were you know knocking on doors, getting petitions signed, listening to people tell their stories, and you know listening to their hardships, and then you go back and actually talk to the representatives and say, okay, you know what can we do? And you know there's never any answers. Yeah. So um, that was kind of a real you know an eye opener. Um, but I still enjoyed being in the political atmosphere. I finished out my degree, but then. You know, after my freshman year, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, I can't impact change this way. I, this is not what I want to be, you know, long term. Hmm. I don't think this is a good fit. So then I went into journalism because I thought, you know, I can be impact change through that way by through writing and through, you know, being and you know an investigative reporter, like doing something like that, where through writing it could be an avenue to impact change. Um, and. I realized that I didn't like writing. <laughs> so, oh no! <laughs> as much as I Strike two. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, 
Um, but I had this awesome opportunity to, you know, graduate from Newhouse. Uh, I continued on that path, so I ended up with a degree in um, newspaper journalism and political science, which I used neither of. Um, I went right out of school, um, starting to look for jobs in nonprofit, and I got a job with Vera House. Okay. Um, and I worked for Vera House for a couple of years um, and, uh, you know, really loved being on, you know, the ground level working with families and children that were, you know, down and out and, um, at, you know, alone and being like a bright spot in their days um, and helping them sort out, you know, their, their different situations. And obviously it's uh, it was a very tough experience to be working with women who are coming out of horrible situations yeah. and trying to get their lives turned around and you know just how inspiring that was so I worked uh, there for a few years um, and then I uh, family situations I ended up getting married um, having kids took a couple years off um, my husband was in the military he's no longer in the military so we moved away um, and we're actually living in Hawaii for a while. Oh wow! Um, How did you like that? It was nice. It was a uh, it was an awesome experience. I was pregnant uh, when I was over there, and then had my first son when I uh, when we came, or you know, so he was born over there. Um, so it was just a tough time to be there, but I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I just side note, totally not related, but I watched a documentary called Island Earth mm-hmm. about Hawaii and all of the pesticide, like the companies that have gone out there to test pesticides on different crops and. All of that. I highly recommend you watch it. Yeah. It's not uplifting, but so anyway, okay, so Hawaii. Yeah, we'll do. Yep. Um, so then we moved back from Hawaii, uh, and you know, I was getting to a point where my youngest or my son was getting a little bit older. I wanted to get back into the workforce. Um, and I had this an opportunity to go work for the sales and marketing consulting firm. It was a startup. Um, and uh so I just kind of jumped in and took on any position that was required of being, you know, working with a startup. So it was operations, it was, um, you know, setting up phone systems for the company, it was oh, doing, wow. any, you know, everything. And, and you moved back to Syracuse by that point? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. sorry. Yes. yes. So we moved, okay. we had moved back. Um, and uh, so then that's when I kind of got thrown into learning technology. Um, and I really loved it, and I f- could see how technology can transform businesses, and technology applied the right way can really transform businesses. Um, and I re- and just loved it. And I think you know, having been in um, you know my family, my mom and dad had run two businesses when I was growing up, and just being in a business oriented family um, really saw how technology crippled our businesses um, because when I was younger, my mom had a choice. Well, we can either, it was a printing business. um, And at that point, you know, we had big printers and a dark room in our basement with like, you know, all these, these crazy equipment. And she had to make a decision. Either I upgrade and stop, you know, doing things the old way or we get out of it and and we and, and she decided to get out of it and didn't stay up with the technology mm. didn't transition the business didn't you know have the right type of graphics arts and design programming that made things just so much more effective and efficient so unfortunately that business went under um and she had to switch careers at you know 50 years old um mm. so it was, it was a tough a really tough transition for her um, so, uh, out of 
when, we, when I moved back to Syracuse and was working for that company, just really saw the impact that we were having on, chain, on, on organizations and affecting their processes and really transforming businesses. And at the core of who I am, I want to ultimately be helping people and do, doing things that help people. Mm -hmm. And this is a way where I can do something that I, you know, I'm in technology, which I found I'm good at. I can, you know, I love it. And I'm also helping people. I'm helping businesses become better at their, you know, whatever industry they're in. We're helping them effectively run their businesses better, which are employing more people, which are, you know, keeping yeah. food on tables longer and, you know, giving people hours back in the day. And it's just, it's, it's this really cool, you know, place that we've, that I've been able, that we've been able to build here. Um, and in addition, you know, we're employing people and, yeah. you know, helping people, enjoy work and enjoy coming here um and you know and being able to you know create this little bubble around us where we've been able to be impactful on this community so it's been a really awesome ride for the last couple of years well i think your point about the tech we look to technology so often in so many facets of our life and always expect that immediately it's going to make life easier yeah and these days with technology it's not like when technology and using that term loosely, but let's say in the last 10 or 15 years when that stuff started and there was always a helpline you could call and there was an 800 number. That doesn't exist anymore. You have to log your problem on a website yeah. and then within maybe a few days somebody gets back to you. And I know just from as silly as it is with this podcast, like I didn't know what I was doing and I started to try to, and I always say to my client, don't Google. Google leads you down really bad paths. Mm -hmm. And of course, it did the same thing with the podcast because then you're buying this software and that ends up not being what you need. And so, and I know that with our, like our CRM at our office, it can be a little frustrating for people at times and we didn't have anybody to really contact to get good help. So that's, yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of things that I didn't really ever think were problematic. You yeah, know? and it is. And yeah. especially with these tools, like, just like with an iPhone, right? Like you only probably use 2% of, you know, what your iPhone is capable yeah. of, right? Like in all the different quick actions and tools. I didn't know that you could and, record your own screen yeah. on the iPhone. <laughs> yeah. I was at getting help with my iPad at the, at the Apple store and there was on the TV. It's, I don't know. You're right. We don't, we're not using half of it. So. Yeah. And, it, and just having resources available that can say, well, you know, you may only ever need to use 2% of it, but this is the, the 2% that you should hone in on uh -huh. and actually use to make you function in right. your day-to-day -day life better. And instead, we just keep chasing something else. So if that app doesn't work, then we try to find another one. And yeah. So, Derek. Yeah. All right. So give us kind of where, where you grew up. And kind of follow along the lines of same storyline here. Sure. Um, so I was born in Brooklyn, uh, lived there for you know, the first uh, 12 years of my life. Um, my parents were uh, my parents were young when I was born. My dad was 19. Oh wow! Uh, and my mom was uh, 25. And uh, I am they 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 insist that I am not, but I am 99.9% .9 sure that I was an accident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were married on Valentine's Day, 1975, when I was born. Or I was I was born three months later, four months later. So, um, mm. but uh, yeah, so growing up in Brooklyn was, you know, was I think, you know, really uh, it's amazing for me, informative for me as a kid because we were just exposed to so much in terms of culture. Um, you know, we had uh, we didn't have much of anything. You know, we were very poor growing up. 
But, uh, you know, my parents always made sure that we were exposed to a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I had, you know, Japanese food and Middle Eastern food and friends of all nationalities and, uh, you know, you name it. And that's just like living in New York City and living in Brooklyn. So um, was kind of raised in this really diverse area. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, I mean, my father had been working uh, in the steel industry uh, from when he was 15 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, he kind of moved his way up along the, uh, up along the ranks in that industry, going from company to company, had some great jobs, uh, or interesting jobs, I should say, you know, involved in like the rehabilitation of the Brooklyn Bridge and was able to take me up there as a kid, which was really oh, wow. cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, so eventually he ended up in a position where it moved us out of Brooklyn and up into Connecticut. Um. And uh, so we were up in Stanford, Connecticut, and that's where I, you know, I think uh, I went through most of my teen years until, until college. Um, and then uh, I started college at uh, Western Connecticut State University. Thought I had actually, I, I went to high school thinking I was going to be an artist. Um, what kind of artist? Uh, I was involved. I loved art in general. Um, so um, I took, I went to a high school that allowed you to specialize in that sort of thing. So I was doing graphic design. Oh, wow. Doing, uh, you know, painting. I really love doing, uh, you know, pen and ink work. Um, wow. So that was really what I thought I was gonna was gonna do. And I actually had uh, I had a couple of uh, scholarship offers, and I was accepted into a bunch of uh, really prestigious art schools. And uh, you know, my mother told me it was a horrible idea. <laughs> She's like, "You're gonna be poor the rest of your life. You don't want to do this." And convinced me to go to a state school. Um, She's like, we still take art classes there, and uh, you know, and but you'll have a degree and you can do other things. And uh, turned out, art school in, in at the at the state university was absolutely terrible. Um, and uh, you know, I was just I, I don't know at, at that time. I think I just like I, I because I was so let down on the art. I felt like I should have really gone to an art school. I didn't have a lot of motivation um, in college. And uh, you know, one of the interesting things, my friends and I in high school were always playing video games, and this is when you know. PCs were, you know, old and big, huge boxes, um, and we were constantly playing video games. Um, and the only way to, you know, at the time, if you wanted to play these games, you had to consistently be upgrading your PC and buying more memory for it or buying new video cards. And, you know, it forced you, us as kids, like we learned how to build computers from mm. scratch so that we could play these games because, you know, constantly the computers were changing. So um, I got into technology sort of on the side. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I had an offer from a company called, uh, it was Aperture Technologies, um, making really good money to go do technology full time. Um, so I jumped on it and I did. So I left school after two years. Um, I did eventually go out, go back for a couple of years. I went to University of Connecticut at Stanford. And, uh, what I think really brought me back there is the ability to play basketball. Um, so I played for them for a couple of years. Um, but, uh, I stayed in the technology field. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what, you know, it, my, my, my entire career is kind of just, you know, has come off of that technology trajectory and I've really leveraged it to do things that are, you know, I feel are very not technology driven, even though we're in a technology company. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've had some great opportunities. I worked at IBM in, in Colorado. I worked with a company called Blue Mercury, um, which is a high end, uh, luxury cosmetics brand. Um, right when they started in uh, 1998, 1999, um, 
and uh, two co-founders there, who are uh, buried back in Marlo Malcolm, were probably two of the most influential people I've ever met because they're just such amazingly smart people. Um, and then uh, you know I left there and I went to work for Right Management Consultants, where I really started to transition to, from technology into consulting work. Um, and you know there we were you know a lot of the Fortune 500 and Fortune 50, and had great opportunities. Uh, you know, to be involved in all these large businesses. And what type of technology work were you doing? Um, so we, it started out as, um, you know, there was a, they did a lot of executive and leadership development. Um, and as a result of that, they were very focused on 360 degree feedback. Um, so they had had these customer proprietary uh, software uh, built, set up to allow people to get 360 degree feedback about, you know, executives and senior executives. Um, and then also about, you know, they also use the survey technology for, you know, uh, you know, just general company surveys and stuff like that. So it was actually very uh, survey driven at the time. Um, and then the fact that I always knew the networking side um, really, really helped because it was just an additional skill set that I was able to apply and I was running some of the internal technology team systems there too. Um, but, uh, you know, I really kind of fell in love with the strategy side of things. And I was able to work with some really amazing consultants and some consultants that were doing M&A work. Um, and uh, just was exposed to a lot of really smart people. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized there is, uh, you know, coming from, uh, I actually moved from Blue Mercury, which was a total startup environment, worked 80, 80 hours a week and, uh, you know, sleep on the couch. And it was absolutely insane. We we're right in Georgetown in DC. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, that was like one piece, and then I moved to Right Management Consultants, where it was completely the opposite, and it was very much a um, people worked very hard, and they were all really smart. But there was such a collegiate environment; um, everybody really just kind of teamed really well together. There was a huge focus on delivering quality for clients and on communicating with them in the right way, and when we should communicate with them, um, and how to you know position things strategically with them. So. Um, just had this, you know, period of about eight years that was just, I mean, just, it, it, that was college for me, um, but it was the reality. Um, and I think a lot of that's just driven by the people that you're around. Yeah. Now, what brought you to Syracuse? Um, so my ex-wife, um, who I'm actually really good friends with, um, has, grew up in Solvay, okay. and her family is here. Um, and, uh, you know, we decided to move up to the area. Um, you know, we had just had uh, my first daughter. Um, and, you know, wanted, you know, her to know this side of her family as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, also we're just honestly, you know, living in, we're really kind of, uh, I think disappointed in what quality of life looked like in Fairfield County. Um, now I did, I, like I said, I didn't grow up a lot and we were, but I, as a result of not growing up a lot, like I never wanted money to be an issue. So I think, you know, being successful financially was always like a driver for me when yeah. I was younger. Um, and I think what we found in, you know, in Fairfield County is that, you know, I mean, we had this house that was, you know, it was a, it was a cape. It was on, it was on a half an acre or a quarter of an acre, only half of which was usable property. Um, there was this big hill and like these wetlands that were protected underneath. You couldn't build on it or do anything. We were on a main road. Um, the house needed a tremendous amount of updates and it was, you know, it was, it was almost, it was $425,000. Wow. Big difference in service. It's a huge difference. <laughs> it's a huge difference. So, um, you know, we really just were, we, at the time, you know, just, I think when you have kids, you start thinking about quality of life and what you can do for them and what sort of things that you can expose them to, you know, if you're not tied into that area. Um, so, you know, we decided to make the move up here. Um, 
And uh, it was interesting because, you know, she and I were together for such a long time and had traveled up to Syracuse often. Um, and when it first started coming up here, I was kind of like, I, I hated coming up here. I was like, I just didn't want to come up to Syracuse. I mean, the city was, I mean, Armory Square was nothing like it is today. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it really just seemed like dangerous. Yeah. I mean, to be extremely honest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so we were, yeah, I was originally like not enthusiastic about it. And the more I came up here, you know, you start to see, see the area for what it is and you start to see, you know, how beautiful it is really around here. And then the cost of living that's, you know, that's provided to the people that are here. And, you know, I mean, there is the snow, which, you know, everybody comments on and talks about, but, you know, when you've lived other places in the country that get some snow, you know, maybe it's not 150 inches a year, maybe it's 30 inches a year, but you also start to realize how, you know, a city like Syracuse actually moves that much snow and deals with that much snow and how little it impacts your day to day versus other places where they may not get as much snow, but they'll have, you know, three times as many snow days because right. everything yeah. just happened. Yeah. Well, um, my, my sister lives in Connecticut. And yeah. They get like four inches and it's like, you'd think, you know, the world was. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, okay. So your prior company that where you guys met, you, Describe to me kind of what what you did for the previous company because that seems to be where the groundwork was laid for the for you guys to say we need to be our own bosses. So what were you doing? And I know you briefly both touched on it as far as like going into other businesses and um, it sounds like you're implementing CRMs, but not necessarily only. So can yeah. you can you both just kind of describe what your roles were in that to give some groundwork for where we are now? Yep, so we were, um, like Derek said, it was a sales and marketing consulting firm. And basically what we were doing is going into companies and helping them revamp their sales process entirely. Um, so, you know, acting as kind of a VP of sales or VP of marketing and saying, okay, this is how you should be running your marketing department. This is how you should be pushing your sales reps. Um, and so, and, and also doing kind of lead generation for those companies and saying, okay, now that we're helping you revamp these processes, we're going to actually go out and help you find leads to boost your revenue. So how are we going to do that? Are we going to do email? Are we going to help initiate, you know, door to door or outbound cold calling or whatever? And were you guys, um, you were putting those plans together. Were you also at that point organizing like putting together the actual emails or mailers or things like that yeah, that we're going out yeah for some okay. uh, companies that we were working with and for others they they could would take that on in-house but kind of overseeing those type of activities okay um and so initially you know my role was just helping in any way possible and then eventually i started to really take on to running the crm portion of it so the um, we actually implemented a CRM for ourselves to help us manage our clients, and I took over learning how to manage that tool um, and learning how to customize it and help us manage our processes internally so we could track our clients, track the work that we were doing for our clients. Um, and we were seeing what type of impact that had on our organization. Um, and then other companies that we are working with were using CRMs as well. And 
you know, we were, I was very, I was able to go in and see, okay, well, you're not using any automation or you haven't customized it to actually match the process that your or that your marketing and your sales departments are using, or you don't have the reporting belt to actually give you actionable items to run your sales organization. So I was able to go in and, and kind of find gaps um, in the technology, match that with the, the actual process that we were implementing and build a tool that would kind of marry those two. So match their, oh, wow. their actual sales process with the technology that supports it. So then you have visibility into what your teams are doing. So as management, you can see, you know, and have actionable items. Well, you know, this sales, these salespeople are outperforming these people, or these marketing initiatives are working better than those marketing initiatives. So, being able to take action with the data that you're provided by having a, a good technology platform in place. So, I was kind of taking an operational role, helping companies revamp their the, the technology that they were using, whether it be you know a, a custom CRM system or um, you'd like we like we've used Zoho, Dynamics, Siebel, a bunch of other different CRM tools. And I, once you know kind of a database structure, it's easy to go into any of them, no matter what they're labeled. They all have the um, same bones, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, and then at that point, we went. We were working with a couple companies that were using Salesforce, and then at that point, I started to learn Salesforce and loved it just because. The ability to integrate with other tools, um, the it's it's just a really awesome flexible tool, more flexible than any of the other ones that I had worked with previously, um, and the ability to self learn was amazing. They have so many online resources that you can just go on, and if you don't know how to do something, you can you know go onto their online resources and figure out how to do it. Um, so that's why I, I you know I love Salesforce because the just the challenges. Um, I never faced a challenge, a business challenge that I couldn't solve with the Salesforce platform. Yeah. Okay. And Derek, what was your? Did you have a similar type role, or where did? No. So I think that like I was kind of you know when I came, Eliza had already been there for you know a few years, and uh, you know I think that you know I was coming on as more of a consultant um, and somebody else who could you know help to manage client engagements um, and help to direct the client engagements. Um, and by engagements, you mean the emails, the mailers, yeah, whatever the project, the were. touches to the client. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and they were very, um, you know, I mean, it, it, and somebody can guide them in, in terms of you know uh, revamping sales process or, or marketing process or what have you. So. And who were you? Were you working for Eliza's the company she was working for at that time? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I was working for the you know the uh, the the principal who owned own that firm. Okay. Yeah. And so, how was it that? Your path, did you guys work together on projects? Mm -hmm. And what, and where, there must have been some sort of, some sort of shortfall in what you guys were doing that you at some point said, Mm -hmm. like, we, there's more to this that we can do. I'm assuming, is that close to what the thought process was? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I mean, Eliza and I, because of like, we, because we were both, so Eliza was critical because she was essentially running operations for this business. So whatever we were doing needed to be supported by the operations team. Um, whether it be, you know, they were running email marketing campaigns or whether they were doing data research or whether they were rebuilding CRM or whatever it was, you know, Eliza was running that entire team. So for me working on the consulting side, you know, I was 
dealing with the client and actually you know coming up and developing the strategy and then teaming with Eliza to make sure that we can actually support it from a technology standpoint what we're looking to do. So Eliza and I just, you know, we we I think I've spent more time with Eliza over the past, you know, 10 years than I have with any other person in my life, just because we were working so closely on all of these engagements. Um, and you know, I think that we found in working together that we kind of just shared um, you know, a whole lot in terms of like passions and things that were important to us. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, you know, we created a friendship, uh, you know, because of the, the number of synergies there were between, you know, I think both, uh, you know, her and mine, you know, uh, you know just our formative beliefs and, uh, you know, our passions. And I think that that really worked well for us. Um, we both really love providing value. We both really love people and think that, you know, it's, uh, you know, that they're worth investing in. Um, I think that we both were really, really committed to doing right by clients um, and making sure that they get value regardless of what the cost is to us. And I think that we're also both very um, sensitive to, you know, the people around us who don't have as much as we do. Um, and we both want to be able to reach out and help those people and affect change on a broader scale. So um, I think that that kind of serves the foundation for how things progress. Uh, we ended up doing some work for a solar company out in California. Um, and uh, it turned into, you know, an absolutely, you know, amazing engagement. Um, we implemented Salesforce for them. I took over as their CMO. Um, and Eliza took over essentially as the uh, operations director there. She completely revamped Salesforce and their CRM. I completely revamped their marketing process. That in turn directly led to them doubling revenue inside of six months. Um, and then they were acquired. Um, and the principal of the firm at that time you know, was very, um, you know, saw an opportunity to capitalize on the work that we had done there and wanted to build a solar platform uh, on a business platform for solar companies on salesforce.com. Um, and Eliza and I at that point, you know, having spent the better part of a year on this project, um, you know, really just, you know, we felt as though um, we didn't want to be, we didn't want to work for a software company. Um, you know, we didn't want to build widgets that we could, you know, sell off to different companies and just for the sake of making money. You know, we really wanted to help businesses. We wanted to work more locally because we know that like, hey, there's Syracuse and we're watching it over the past, you know, 10 years, 15 years, and you're, you're seeing how it's growing a little at a time. And, you know, you, you get this, there's this, you know, there's this smidgen of hope there um, that it can turn into you know, a great city, a great place to work. There's so much here for people if you look for it. Um, and, uh, you know, we said, hey, well, what if you're applying this Salesforce technology to companies here? You know, what if we can really help businesses here grow and be more successful? Um, and what is the impact that that can have on not only helping businesses, you know, grow and add more employees, but also, you know, be able to employ more people ourselves? Um, so at that point, we just kind of felt, you know what, this, you know, we want to step away from being the software company and we want to kind of, you know, move forward with, you know, this feeling that we have that we can do something more here. Um, and, uh, you know, and the reality is, I mean, that's where we kind of came up with the name Spark Orange. You know, if you're on an airplane back from, uh, from, from San Francisco and, uh, you know, we were talking about different ideas and different, you know, different things that we can call a company and, um, somehow, how do we came back to this? So now it's not just the two of you. You guys do have a handful of employees. Yeah. And what's the scope of your work? Because I 
feel as though it goes beyond just at this point going into a company and saying do this this and this within this program and everything's going to be better I feel like there's a broader scope when you guys go in to look at the layout of a company and the the people the attitudes the this the that whatever it might be so describe all of that now yeah so absolutely so I think that you know for us um, so yeah, so we've grown significantly. I think that there's you know, over 20 of us falling part time now, um, and you know I think that you know we'll look to double in size this year. So. There's 20 working for Spark. Yes. Wow, I didn't yeah. realize there were that many. Yeah. So there's that's uh, more than a handful. <laughs> yeah, it's more than a handful. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you know one of the things that we realized from doing this over and over again for clients um, at our you know our previous employer was that. Um, you know, the technology is only as good as your understanding of the business, right? So um, the engagement for us always starts with a consulting session where we really work to understand, you know, what are your business goals and objectives? Um, what are your biggest pain points? You know, what is working for you? What is not working for you? What is your culture? You know, are you an open organization? Are you a, you know, is it is it more of a, you know, a, a top down, you know, shut down, closed off organization. And it's important that you understand that not because you want to change their culture, but because if this technology does not support the culture, it's going to cause problems and rips within those companies. So really getting a holistic view of the business, of what they're looking to accomplish, and then exactly how they're working puts us in a, in a, in a position to be able to design a solution that doesn't just mirror their process, right? We don't want to ever do that. We want to say, okay, we understand how you're getting from point A to point B. And we, based on our experiences and working with now hundreds of companies, can absolutely tell you that there are better ways to do that. And there are opportunities for automation and opportunities for operational efficiencies um, and how we can give you some of your time back so you can do more of the things that are important to you. Now, with your focus being mostly local, I mean, Syracuse is growing, but it mm-hmm. is little by little. Mm-hmm. How, how have you guys faced those challenges, like as a young company, to get access to? Because I know there's probably not a lot of companies around here that are using any sort of sales tracking or certainly client tracking. I mean, I know in the industries that I have connections with, like real estate agents, insurance people, other mortgage companies. Um, you know, at best, it's just like a like a form email newsletter, right. which I end up getting like three or four of the same one from different agents because they're all using you know similar things. Mm-hmm. So you are limited in this area, but how are how are you guys going about changing people's mindset? Because I know that that can be a big problem where we get stuck in our way of doing things, or I mm-hmm. I, I can't under I can't understand how to send this email or track this client or whatever it might be. How do you guys go into these companies and sit down with people to try to get them unstuck from their current beliefs? Well, interestingly, I think that, you know, we started the business, we were working with companies nationally. Um, And I think that as we've grown, we've actually worked more and more with local businesses here. Um, I mean, central New York is definitely very, very slow to um, slow to adopting 
this new wave of CRM technology. You're slow to adopt just yeah. any new thing. Yes, yeah. and, and it makes sense though. I mean, when you live uh, or you're and you're running a business that's been successful, and I think that there are a lot of businesses that we've worked with here that have been around for a long time, um, and a lot of them are still family businesses. A lot of them have been, you know, have made their way through by either doing something in a specific vertical really, really well, or by being, you know, really conservative with their expenditures. And there's very much a uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality here. Um, and making an investment in a platform that they haven't had before can seem, I think, really daunting. And I think that the older generations are very, very resistant to taking on that investment. Um, but what I think that companies here are seeing is, is and maybe it's a generational thing, um, maybe it's an economy thing, and, and folks' eyes are starting to open up, but, you know, um, I think that what they're seeing is that not only can do I need this, but I can't compete if I don't have it. Because the folks that are adopting this technology first are seeing those returns. And I mean, Salesforce has been running a, um, they've been running a third party independently run survey for, I mean, the last decade. And every single year they, um, they survey companies about the impact of Salesforce on their business. And, Without fail, every single year across the board, there are 30 to 40% increases in all major business metrics if a company implements Salesforce correctly. So if you think about it, if you're, if you're in a competitive line of business, which I think everybody is these days, if you're not doing this, then you're falling behind the curve. Um, and unfortunately, I think some of them try to do the, go the cheaper route and they'll use a different tool. Um, but, and the, the reality is those tools just aren't as effective. Um, and uh, you know it may help them get a little bit along the ways, but I think that people I think that people are opening their eyes to it, and it's not us that are. I don't think that we're doing anything to change anybody's mind. For the most part, we work with people. Um, you know, we're working with people who um, have come to the realization that this is something that we need to do for our business. Um, and then I think that our goal is always to leave them in a better place than when we met them. Now. What what could you guys, what advice could you give? Because you've had your fingers in a lot of different businesses and you've obviously created a business here where um, you hire people who want to be a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And that you can do when you have a young business. But what advice could you give to people that are in jobs that maybe they like but they don't, um, they don't fit in with the culture or they don't agree with the culture or maybe they don't like the job at all but it's a scary thing to try to take the leap and maybe not quit your job and start your own company but I mean even just to quit your job and go try to find another one or try to find another one then quit your job ideally but what you guys have dealt with a lot of people a lot of companies and you probably come into contact with with people that you know aren't super happy in what they're doing but are too afraid to do it so what kind of advice can you guys give to some of those people that are out there that maybe want to, again, like not jump and open their own company, but at least try to start to broaden their horizons, because you guys have done that. Yeah. Um, you want to answer that? You want me to answer that? You can go first. I'll let you on that for a minute and think of a good response. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the same as anything else, right? I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, you know, Tyler, I, mean, I met you four years ago at, you know, at CrossFit. And I had never gone to CrossFit before. And I remember being petrified. And I had just done P90X and I wasn't in great shape, but like that was the thing to try at that mm-hmm. time. And you know, it, uh, it wasn't something that uh, 
you know, CrossFit, I was, I, honestly, I was scared. I was petrified. I thought it was uh, extremely intimidating. I thought that, you know, I was like, oh my God, I have no idea how to do these Olympic lifts that I see people doing. I see such fit people. Everybody tells me I'm going to go to a CrossFit class and I'm basically going to die because of how hard it's going to be and what that effort is. And, uh, you know, I mean, I took a step and I went and I talked to some folks there, I think at the open house at Urban Life Athletics uh, on the first day that I was there. And uh, I want to say that I talked to, uh, you know, a couple of the owners there. I talked to Steph Lasher and talked to him a little bit about it and what it was what it was all about. And I talked to Eric Heyman um, and what it was all about for him. And, uh, you know, figured I'd make the leap and take the shot. Um, and I ended up absolutely loving it. So I feel like the exact same thing applies to work. Um, you know, I think that, you know, not to, to kind of get philosophical about it, but I think that, you know, there's two sort of things that you always have to keep in mind. And one is that, you know, I think that our time here on earth is limited and, you know, that you owe it to yourself to experience as many different things as you can. And, uh, you know, if you are not happy or you're unhappy in a position that, you know, talking to people is the easiest way to get exposed to new experiences. And um, what I found is that, you know, people tend to, or the people that I've met, really like to share their experiences and are, help, are happy to and take pleasure in helping other people. So, you know, have a conversation with people about what they do. Talk to them about what they like. Um, and then, you know, the beautiful thing about the Google is that you can, you know, while you can get sucked down a rabbit hole, you can also, you know, figure out, hey, what are different ways that I can do something that I love mm -hmm. or do something that I'm passionate about uh, and start by making some money on the NFO. If that's what I want to do, let me do something on the side. You know, let me dabble in it. Let me see if I can get gain some traction. Let me see what people I meet in that industry or in that area and then surround yourself with those people and then opportunities will come to you. Because I think that's the second piece of this is that I, I really believe in manifest destiny and I believe that life provides you with opportunities and that you are in a position to either ignore them or to you know accept them and embrace them and do the best that you can with those. Um, so I think that if you're open to new experiences and then when you see opportunities that you, even if they're little ones, like to have a conversation with somebody, um, that you kind of have to jump on those. You owe it to yourself to kind of, to, 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 uh, to feel those out. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, as people, I think we're infinitely ability, uh, infinitely able to do just about anything that we want. So, you know, it's just, it's all about taking one step and, uh, you know, like I said, find people that are like-minded and, uh, I think that the rest will kind of take care of itself. Okay. Yeah. All really good advice for sure. Eliza, anything <laughs> to add? No, it's funny because I'm the exact opposite. I'm very much an introvert and uh, <laughs> <here> <laughs> talking to people. And I was like, um, no, so I think, you know, just to piggyback off of what Derek said, you know, I, I came in, you know, not in a technology background, um, but I'm very, and I'm very risk averse. So I, I, you know, I don't like, you know, taking the leap. I'm, you know, very conservative. I, you know, I like, I, I, I'm not a great communicator. Um, but I feel like what I've done is capitalized on opportunities that I've had um, and, and really taken advantage of, you know, windows of opportunities and learned and found something that I've passionate that I that I was passionate about and stuck with it. Um, I think one of the you know over working with different people um, and through my experiences, um, 
what I found with people that are successful is that they found that one thing that has driven them and, and just gone for it, you know, and I found and with technology, I found like this thing that I'm good at and, you know, and I was able to sink a bunch of energy and effort into it as opposed to, you know, jumping around and being, you know, well, I kind of am good at this, but I'm not, I'm afraid or I'm, you know, not quite ready to sink my effort into it, you know, but it's been something that I, that I found that I've loved and I've been able to stick with it. Um, even when it's got really hard and when, you know, we weren't making money and we were, you know, figuring out like, you know, is it going to really work or is it not going to work? You, we've stuck with it, you know, and we've gotten through those hurdles um, because we love it, you know, and because we really are passionate about what we do and we know what we can bring to this community. Um, and we've gotten through those hurdles and we've been able to just, you know, and now we're at a point where, you know, we have 20 people and we're working with nonprofits and we're um, really, you know, trying to impact change in the community. And it's, you know, it's, it's been, it's awesome to be able to look back and say, you know, I think how many times have we talked about quitting or, you know, like, what you, you know, over the years. Well, and I think that's great because that's the honesty in it all. You know, I yeah. think what, what you both just said, but certainly Eliza, where it's, you know, we've, we did it. And, but then once we were into it, we sat back and we had so many of those discussions of, uh-oh, you know, like mm -hmm. over here. Now you guys have touched a few times and we'll kind of wrap up here, but you've touched a few times on um, work in the community and making change. Now, obviously we've heard you talk about what you're doing in the community through um, your, the business, through Spark Orange itself, but describe some of the other things that you guys are doing that fulfill you and that make everything else that much more important in our area. I, you know, go ahead, I mean, you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so we do a lot of work with nonprofits yep. or, you know, are trying to get um, in, in engaged with more nonprofits. We've done um, some work with non a couple nonprofits locally um, and then also some national nonprofits as well. So that's, and we're able to do free work um, and also, you know, very uh, steeply discounted work for nonprofits. Um, so that's something that is amazing for, for me and what I, what I love to do um, is to help people that are helping others. So we're able to do that. And then um, long term, you know, I, what I'd love to do is put some educational programs in place because you know, technology is where we're going. We need to be teaching our kids technology. You know, we need to be teaching the workforce how to use technology because, you know, this this is unfortunately, you know, there are very niche skill-based, you know, labor, you know, manual work that's going to be required, but people need to know technology. So I, you know, have goals to be able to teach technology to, you know, just different groups in the community and, and uh, kind of grow um, that way and uh, right now unfortunately running the business is taking up all the time sure. so I haven't are yeah. able is uh, I haven't been as able to do that type of stuff as I'd like to but um, longer term that's what I my goal is oh that's really cool yeah I mean I think that a lot of what we do is through the business um, you know I mean I think this is I mean it's where we put you know the large majority of our energy um, and you know making this a place that can give back is really important to us and I think that it's an important part of the culture that we're trying to, uh, you know, that, that we're trying to uh, 
um, to grow here. And I think that, you know, so, you know, we've, you know, I think we just are about to, uh, you know, announce a partnership with the, the Spark, uh, you know, contemporary art uh, space uh, that's in, in Syracuse. It's been there for 20 years. Oh, over on Genesee Street. Yeah. Oh, for, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So we're, oh, that's really neat. Yeah. So we're going to be sponsoring that space and, and working to help them get their word out there about what they're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, we obviously, as Eliza had mentioned, you know, we work with a lot of nonprofits. You know, we try to engage in as many community things as we can, um, like with the most and, and just sponsoring those opportunities. Um, we uh, committed to working with Ben Walsh, the new mayor, on, uh, you know, a program that's going to employ in the summer. You know, we're going to put some, uh, bring some interns in from local city youth um, and help them to learn what we're doing. Um, we're actually in the process of talking to some folks over at Syracuse University. Um, about helping their students get in line with the Salesforce community and hopefully providing a um, both a way for them to you know to find employment just because we're in this amazing Salesforce economy um, and also to convince people to stay in the area um, you know and not necessarily like leave when they, they leave college um, and then you know I've been involved I was heavily involved with Syracuse first for, for many years. Um, and uh, you know, really trying to drive and build local business here. So um, again, you know, a lot of our energy is here in the business. But I think that you know, having this business be an engine for you know this social change is just really important to us. Um, and I think it's important to the people who work here too. I think it must be because they're here and they seem to love it. So. <laughs> well, thank you guys both very much. I really appreciate it and. Um, I think it's a it's a great business and keep up keep up the great work. Thanks for all you guys do. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Today's episode was produced by me, Tyler Cagwin. The background music was provided by Soul Rising. Find him on iTunes, Spotify, or basically anywhere you listen to music. www.soulrising.com and at soulrising on Instagram. Make sure to visit our website, www.omtravelers.com and look in the podcast section for today's show notes and links to the places and things discussed in the episode. www.omtravelers.com Namaste. Namaste.